Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz composer, arranger, and educator Jim McNeely. He was born in Chicago and moved to New York City in 1975. In 1978, he joined the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra and spent six years as a featured soloist with that band. That was followed by a four-year tenure as pianist and composer with the Stan Getz Quartet, then on to Phil Woods and the jazz world beyond. Along with his music chops, he's a prolific and widely respected educator. Please get to know him and dig it. Okay, Jim, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. Hey, you're welcome. How's everything going in your part of the world? Where exactly are you at? I'm in Maine. I'm in mid-coast Maine. Uh, wow. So it's not too bad up here, I have to say. There's about yeah. uh, almost a 1,000 cases in Maine, but most of it's down near Portland, or uh, Portland, Maine, and, and we're up farther from that. So it's not too bad. It's not like, certainly not like New York or, you know, Chicago or New Orleans or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so again, thanks for taking a minute out. I figured this would be a good oasis to kind of talk about music for a little bit. And I, I got to tell you, you are one of the most referenced people that I probably, one of the top, five reference people that musicians always talk about. Hmm. Well, so interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks for taking a minute out. So you're originally from Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about growing up and how jazz became your life. Well, you know, when I was a kid, um, I took piano lessons. Uh, I, I started when I was in first grade at a nun at the school where I went to a Catholic school. But uh, in my second year with her, she got sick, and my mother found a teacher who started to teach me theory. You know how to? I, he taught me how to read a lead sheet. He wasn't a jazz musician by any means, but he uh, kind of got me interested in uh, what, what is, what's this stuff about harmony and how do you put tunes together and uh when i finally started to get into jazz uh just kind of by accident it, the music really spoke to me uh, you know because I, I kept thinking there there must be some kind of jazz was not part of the, the household when i grew up my my dad was into uh, the big bands you know tommy dorsey and glenn miller and uh also uh polka music which was luckily i avoided that one but, um, you know, so uh, when I discovered jazz, I thought, well, here's the kind of music where I can use this theory that I've been learning. And uh, also the the fact you could improvise was exciting to me, and the rhythm just got to me, you know, the rhythmic aspect of jazz. So um, I went to a high school just outside of Chicago that had uh, a, a big band. At the time, that was kind of rare. But um, the director was a guy, he was a priest named George Wiskirchen, and his his idol was Tom Basie. And, and um, so he had a really swing big band, uh, especially in those days for a high school. And he encouraged me to start writing for big band, and uh, and we had, you know, little combos at school and so forth. And I just kind of got into it on my own. Um and one thing led to another. You know, you've learned from some big names, um, yeah. you know, Stan Getz and Phil Woods and so many legends and luminaries. What did they teach you that helped you as a teacher? Um, one thing uh, they, all those people taught me, uh, 
you know, is that you you lead by example. You know, you, uh, none of them really said anything. You know, I, I one time um, Stan uh, had a couple of gigs and I couldn't make them, and so he wanted to have a rehearsal with my sub piano player to, uh, you know, so he could show him the ropes. And I went to the rehearsal, and you know, Stan was saying things not only to him but you know to the rhythm section what he wanted and uh, i thought that was great and and later on he got into teaching at stanford university and he said to me i'm really nervous about teaching because i don't i don't really teach i said remember that that rehearsal you had with the trio i said you were teaching that you know it wasn't you didn't call it that it was just a rehearsal but you know the, the way he uh just you know the little things that he said uh here and there were really valuable. And then uh, also just the way he played and the way Phil played and the way Thad Jones played and, and all these people that I I worked with. Um, it, when you got to hear somebody every night and you heard how they shaped the solo and you heard how they, how the time was so strong. And, you know, that, from playing with all those people, that's when I learned the three most important things that you respond to are the time, the sound, and the degree of belief in what you're doing. You know, whether it's a sharp nine or a flat five, that's way down on the, on the list. It's not about the notes. Um, so, you know, for all those people, just working with them night after night and hearing how they play the same tune night after night, you know, and there were things they would do that would be similar and things that they do that every night that were different, and uh, I learned a lot from them. What has been the most enjoyable part of being in the jazz world for all these years? Uh, I have to say playing the music, you know, I mean, getting on stage with people that you've been, you know, most of the time it's been with bands that I've been working with for a while. Once in a while, it's a really spontaneous kind of thing that everything clicks, you know. And but that to me, that's the most enjoyable part is when um, you're in the middle of playing and things just feel good. And uh, you know, most of the time, the audience is there with you and 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 they're enjoying it, and that that's great. Um, but uh, that to me is the my my favorite part of it, the actual performance part. You know, when you actually just you're not traveling anymore. You're not in a van or a plane or a bus, or, or you're not, uh, you know, getting up at four in the morning in a, in a hotel to make a lobby call, or you're not uh, dealing with promoters or agents or any of that. You're just playing the music. That to me is the most. Uh, and that's the biggest payback. If you have a dream tonight, you run into your younger self. Say, you know, when you were just getting ready to hit it in New York, and you could give your younger self advice, what would it be? Relax. Don't play so much so soon. I mean, that 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 would be specific advice I'd give to myself. And, um, and then uh, the other advice I would give myself is there's going to be ups and downs. You know, uh, it's not a it's not a straight line from where you start up to where you end up. There's bumps in the road and there are times when uh you get a re- a boost you know and um that 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 would be the main thing i'd i'd want to just uh kind of assure the younger self that uh things are going to 
you know, they'll be okay if you just keep at it. Um, I think when I was younger, I was probably, you know, concerned that it wasn't going to work out. You know, this is kind of a unique time in our lives with, you know, the COVID-19 going on and everything that's happening. What do you hope both the musician and the audience member gets from this experience that's revelatory when we come back? Wow, yeah, that's a good question because, uh, you know, I talk with my friends who are not only uh, performers but also teaching, and and this thing, it's hit the wor- it's hit that world like a ton of bricks. You know, there's already been, you know, with the advent of social media, there's been a little bit of movement towards doing. Uh, stream, live streaming via the internet and, uh, and teaching via the internet and all, but, but the COVID is just forcing everybody to abandon all the other options and just figure it out, um, with the resources we have now that are available to us. And I think when things get back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is, uh, there's, it's still going to be a part of life, you know, uh, it's not all going to be, about live performance. It's not all going to be about uh, getting several hundreds of people into the same room uh, to hear music, unfortunately, because that's a, it's a beautiful feeling when it happens. But I'm, I'm concerned that uh, maybe the aftermath of this situation, is, it's going to create, you know, some different parameters for performance that are going to, are going to work, but they're not going to be as, uh, you know, satisfying as as uh, the way things used to be. Jazz, you know, and all when you, well, everything that we know in our lives developed not in a sense of isolation. Uh, whatever it is, we're, we're talking about the arts or things in science or education or any field. It all happened as parts of collaboration and, and people getting together. And now, um, I think this. The COVID situation is going to leave a mark on uh, on the world, on, on the culture in that way. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. So, what was the first live jazz show you ever saw that made you think you want to do this with your life? Ah, uh, good question. Um, I remember a a local big band in the Chicago area that my parents took me to. It was a a summer concert at a uh, there was a shopping center in the northwest suburbs uh, that had outdoor concerts and they took me to a, it was a local big band and I remember we walked in and the band was playing already and I heard a big chord and a big shout chorus kind of thing and and something inside me went wow that's you know what, what was that um, I think the first big band that I ever saw was the Count Basie band. Uh, like I said, my, my high school band director, he knew Frank West and Frank Foster and, and those guys. And uh, he'd always, you know, if the Basie band was near Chicago, he'd get his tickets to go see the band. And I think that's the first uh, first time I ever uh, heard live jazz, you know, in the flesh. and It, it just knocked me out. So... Everyone has the perception of you. Hold on, sorry, there's a loud truck. Um, everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your students, your 
fans that you're living your life. Who do you think mm-hmm. you are? Oh, I'm this guy, you know. Uh, I um, I don't know. It's sometimes I I see things that are written about me, and I, I think they're talking about somebody else. You know, I, I still, I, in a way, I'm I'm in the same position I was, uh, you know, 50 years ago. I'm still trying to figure this music out and get better at it, and. Uh, and uh, there were people that helped me along the way, and I'm trying to pass that along in my own way to people coming up after me. And uh, I'm also, besides a musician, I'm a father and a husband, and that's important, too. That's always been important in, in my life. I was kind of a little late getting started uh, on all of those areas, but uh, it's uh, been a great part of my life as well. So uh, I, I like to think of myself as, you know, just a more or less a complete human being that plays music and writes music and has a family and uh, and lives. Beautiful, Jim. Thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate you opening up and giving me uh, a minute of your time. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Chicago, Maine, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jim for his time, cool, and music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.